and disorder in the book of Proverbs. Because I, I posed the question this morning, does God's way work? Well, if God is orderly, and we do things orderly according to God's way, then that means what? It should work. Well, Job's friends thought that, right? If Job had done the right things in the right way, then the right, thing, the right outcomes would happen. He would have good things happening to him instead of bad things. And so Job's saying, no, 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 I've done what I was supposed to have done. And yet it didn't work. I pose the question to you, in life, when you play by the rules, does God's way work? Because Proverbs seems to make a lot of promises, doesn't it? Proverbs seems to suggest if you do things this way, the right things, the good things, the things you want to happen in life will happen. And that's wonderful. And so we roll up our sleeves and we get to work. And we'll untangle this cable and we'll do it the right way and it'll all be good. And then it's not. Something else happened. There's another, ca- there's another tangle. There's something else in it and it won't pull through. And you say, well, how can that be? Maybe God's way doesn't work. And we can give up on the whole thing. In fact, Proverbs tells us that hope deferred makes the heart grow weak. And I can be discouraged. My heart can grow weak and I can give up when what I hoped would happen doesn't happen. Proverbs, in very practical terms, leads us in the right ways to live. And Proverbs is not a book in isolation. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's a book of doing things the right way, of living a wise way. And if you live a wise way, it normally ought to work out better for you. We pose the question then, from what Proverbs seems to promise to our experience, does God's way work? Well, I would suggest at times we've become a little too Armenian. And when I talk about Armenian and Calvinism, let me, let me put it to you in these terms. Armenian theology is emphasized much more towards humanity's free will. We can freely choose to do whatever we want to do, and with, if we make good choices, that'll end up good. If we make bad choices, that'll end up bad. But we have this free will for either good or evil. Calvinism, if you take it to its extreme, Calvinism would say God has foreordained. So God is sovereign. God is running the universe. I don't want to get into the nuances of either position, but I think sometimes we are both. We are perhaps a little too Armenian in our free choices isolated from God's will. And then we turn around and become too Calvinist, expecting that God's somehow going to make it right anyway. And then when it doesn't come out the way we wanted, we say, "Ah, God's way doesn't work. The way we have chosen, or sometimes the way we neglect to choose, is the reason for some of the tangles that we're in the midst of. In the midst of a tangled world, in the midst of a broken life, in a broken world, there are still better ways to live. There are wiser choices to make. And that's what the book of Proverbs sets before us. I want to give you an overview of the book of Proverbs. And then there's a, well, there's three main things I want to tell you from Proverbs. It's, again, it's one of those, how do you teach the book of Proverbs? There's so much to say. When I first uh, went to I first went to pastor school. They call it seminary. I don't know why. 
But when I first went to pastor school, in my, in my preaching class, the first preaching class, we did a sermon on a proverb. One proverb. Well, there's a bunch of, I don't mean one chapter, I mean one proverb, one two-line wisdom saying. That was a sermon. And so it can be. And that can be a day's practice as well. One, two, lines. So what do you do with Proverbs? Well, let me give you an introduction to understand what's here, and then we'll boil down in a couple of areas, a couple of things that we should take away, which I think will help us to use the book of Proverbs profitably in a life of faith. Okay, overview. Uh, if you were to, 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 to lay out Proverbs, it looks something like this. Uh, we have an introduction. First seven verses give you an introduction to Proverbs. It tells you the purpose of Proverbs. In fact, if you turn to Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 1, the first seven verses, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. Well, not all of them. Most of them are Solomon. Some are not, as, we, as we'll see as we go. Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, The purpose is to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Here's the key verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's going to be a choice. The wisdom is here. What are we going to do with it? There's an introduction to Proverbs. And then uh, an early theme emerges, and that is Proverbs is Solomon's instructions to his son. So the, next, the, the first nine chapters, chapters one through nine, you have this instruction to a son over and over and over again. My son, my son, hear my words. Hear your father's instructions. Forsake not your mother's teaching. And then you come to that, from that longer um, urging and pleading about wisdom, you come to the actual Proverbs of Solomon himself. This is when you think of a proverb. These are the ones you think of. One of my favorite is, the one who meddles with the quarrel of another is like someone who, who grabs a passing dog by both ears. That's what it's like when you insert yourself into somebody else's argument. You don't have to. You can let that one go right on by. But no, we jump in there. And we grabbed that dog by both ears and we got him face to face. And as long as you got both ears, you're okay. But sooner or later, you're going to have to let go. And then it's going to get ugly. Okay? A lot of those short, pithy sayings, axioms, principles that give us instruction of life, they have been weighed out over time. These are from chapter 10 through 22. Most of the book are Solomon's Proverbs. And they're not, it's, you don't take a chapter, okay, this whole chapter is about. No, there's a line on this, there's a line on that, there's a line. It's just a collection of Proverbs. A lot of people have the habit of reading Proverbs uh, one a day. Follow the calendar. In February, you skip a couple of them. That's okay, you'll get them the other 11 months out of the year. But read one proverb every day, keep track according to the calendar. If you, if you miss a day, you still know where you are. It's a great system. And when you read a whole proverb, especially in those parts where there's the collection of, of, of wisdom in a whole lot of different areas, it's almost random, you're bound to come across something in there that you should remember that day. Something that's going to relate to where you're at in life at the time. So there's the Proverbs 10 to 22. Then there are, in the next three chapters, the 30 sayings of the wise. These are most likely not, not Solomon's Proverbs, but Proverbs he collected from elsewhere. 
You see, Proverbs did not only occur in Israel. There is wisdom literature throughout the ancient Near East. Uh, the Egyptians had them, and other people around had, had, had Proverbs. And they're still, they're, they're truisms in life. Uh, the Bible is not the only source of truth. Oh, careful here. Oh, I saw some heads come up. What did he say? The Proverbs is not the only source of truth. I mean, the, the Bible is not the only source of truth, but all truth is God's truth. For instance, take this... Take, this, take the area of, of, of psychology. There's much of psychology that is true. The study of human behavior as it plays out, and it's true. It's, it, it, it's helpful to understand some of those things. Now, when you take some of that knowledge of human behavior, but you neglect other things about human behavior, for instance, you neglect the depravity, the fallenness, the sinfulness of man, and try to understand man's actions apart from sin, you try, to, uh, you try to ascertain man's motivation apart from that fallen selfishness we call depravity, then you're not going to understand it rightly. But all that's true, whether it's in engineering that makes a bridge stand up, whether it's uh, whatever field of study, what's true is God's truth. There are, there, are, there are things that are true that other people in other cultures figured out as well. Solomon grabbed some of those Proverbs, put them into his book as well. Or they wound up in the book of Proverbs as well, whether Solomon collected them or somebody else. So you have the 30 sayings of the wise. You have Proverbs of Hezekiah's men. I'm going to come back to that one. Why did Hezekiah's men collect some Proverbs? But So this was considerably after the time of, of, of Solomon. The, as we've studied some of the Old Testament history now, you know that, that uh, after David, David was sort of the height of the, of the, uh, of the nation. And with Solomon, well, things were going really good, but Solomon began to fall apart. He unraveled. And then his kingdom unraveled, and it became two kingdoms. And then one of those kingdoms just went downhill fast. The other one went downhill slow. And in the end, they both wind up in captivity. They have not followed God's, God's ways. Well, along the way, there's, in the southern kingdom, there were some bright spots. One of those bright spots, a righteous king, a revival time was under King Hezekiah. And one of the things that Hezekiah did, he clears out, he cleans out the temple. He restores temple worship. He's the one that when the Assyrians, Assyrians surround Jerusalem, Hezekiah takes their threats and he lays them out before God. He says, God, this is your problem. We depend on you. Hezekiah was a king of faith. And Hezekiah was also a man who, as he cleared the temple, as they celebrated again the Passover like it hadn't been celebrated for many, many years and generations, he also was a man that his, 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 those working for him collected more of the Proverbs together. And maybe some of the final editing occurred around Hezekiah's time. And then there were the Proverbs of Agur and King, King Lemuel, and nobody really knows who they are. There's a couple of, of suggestions. We're pretty sure they're not Israelites. So again, this is another instance of proverbial truth and probably what some of your, half the people in this room, perhaps your favorite proverb. 31, all, for all you ladies. The Proverbs 31 woman, right? We'll talk about her too. Uh, uh, it was apparently not one of Solomon's Proverbs. Now some people think, well, Lem Lemuel was sort of mama's name for Solomon. Okay, maybe. I can't say it's not, but the, uh, again, he was a king. Um, there's no other instance of Solomon being called Lemuel anywhere else. Um, but... Be that as it may, there's these additional Proverbs at the end which seem to be identified to somebody else. Okay. That's a big picture of the book. Um, 
Chapter 1, the purpose says, the purpose of Proverbs is to know wisdom. What is wisdom? In the New Testament, the word wisdom means to see things as they really are and to, and to react, to live, to decide, to choose accordingly. In the Old Testament, wisdom has the idea of skill. It was, the same word was also used for a craftsman, a fine craftsman like those that would build that sound desk. And the, and the work that goes into the selection of the wood and even which wood to use in which places to get the grain right and to get the grain to flow from one piece to another across the desk. There's a lot of skill that goes into that. I would take boards, I would cut them, I'd put them together, and then afterwards I would say, uh, it doesn't look quite right, and I wouldn't know why. There's, a, there's wisdom, there's insight in that skillfulness of hands. So whether it was a craftsman, um, um, th- that was that experience, their efficient use in the areas of their expertise, they were considered skillful, they were considered wise. Similar, similarly, in life then, in the spiritual realm, a person who possesses wisdom according to the book of Proverbs, is the person who lives life rightly in reference and understanding with God. He understands God, he understands life, and is able to live his life or her life in light of that understanding of God. To take what is true, to take how things really are, the, can I borrow it, bigger picture, and to, and to use that bigger picture into how I will live my life in the midst of some of those pixels at one little portion on that map. How will I live over here in light of that big picture of what is true about God? That's wisdom. So does God's way work? When we, when we choose to live by faith in God's way or according to God's way, God's way works. Okay, that's what wisdom is. And the first thing then uh, we see in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is to know wisdom and instruction, to receive instruction, to give prudence. And it starts out in, in chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. They're a graceful garland for your head. And on it goes, as these word pictures. And that urging of a son to listen up. You've, you find it in chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words. Verse 16. No, that's, sorry. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. Verse 11 of chapter 3. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1 and 10. Hear my son. Again and again, there's this teaching of sons or sons and daughters, wisdom. Now that's not something that Solomon just came up with. That's Deuteronomy, isn't it? These things about God, how to walk before God, how to live life with God, these are the things that you're supposed to bind to your own heart. And you're supposed to, according to Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6, teach them to your children. Not just to teach them in school or in class. You're to talk of them when you rise up in the morning and even when you lie down at night. You're to, you're to talk about them when you walk along the way. In the midst of life, when something pops up and there's an object lesson, there's the opportunity to teach the, the son or the daughter something about God and about how life really is. Even a tangle of wire. Well, if I had actually un, unrolled that wire properly, I have a friend who's an electrician, he said, no, no, Bob, don't do it that way, do it this way. And he he did it a different way of unrolling the wire, and his wire was entangled. 
So there's a different way, and we can learn, and th- there's more than one way to live. And I can choose to live in a way that will tangle my life. I can choose to live in a way that has a much greater likelihood of my life not being tangled or tangled as badly. Now, I say take the time to teach wisdom. There's a burden on parents in the book of Proverbs. It starts early. And there's an example of teaching wisdom of urging learning, and of coming up with creative practical lessons for the, for, the, for the parent to teach truth and wisdom to their children. Proverbs assumes, theologically, that humans have the ability to understand rational thought. Humans have the ability to make choices and then to choose rightly or wrongly at a certain level, that we are responsible for our behavior. We have a, what, what people, what, what, what sociologists, again, outside study of Bible, would call a cultural mandate. We should order our culture in ways that are right. But we don't always do that. We don't always choose according to God's wisdom or order our culture according to God's wisdom. But parents have a responsibility immediate in the book of Proverbs. You say, well, my kids are out of the house. I'm home free. Proverbs is not for me. Yeah? Well, you know, wisdom is like interest. It accrues over time. Wisdom is like your IRA. It gets bigger as time goes on. And those of you that are older, and your kids are out of the house already, they're gone and they're on their way, and say, here, now I finally know something about kids. And it's too late. Mine are a mess but I wish I knew now what I knew then. Can your parents agree with me on that? Do you wish you knew at the end of raising your kids? Do you wish you knew that at the beginning? Well, no problem. Adopt a handful of new ones and, and start over again. You say, man, I don't think so. I've been trying to, trying to talk Julie into, you know, we're, we're young. We could, we could go another, we could go again. She says, no, we can't. But that's where grandparenting comes in. So I called up Nathan. I said, Nathan, I'm waiting. <laughs> and meanwhile, back at the church, one of my friends here oh, will be in an event. I'm looking for Julia when, or when Ruth and Daniel will here too. I'll be looking for them. Maybe it's at the picnic or something else. And I, and, and I would say, I'm looking for my family. And Gary Jacko would always pop up. Bob, we're right here. We are family, aren't we? So you are grandparents. You are uncles. You say, you know, I don't have any, I got all this wisdom and no kids. Well, great, we got kids for you. They're right here. You know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I was talking with a pastor of another church, a good friend of mine, and he was saying that, that um, in his youth program, he needs more vibrant young adult leaders. You know, they got energy, they got enthusiasm, and they can stay past, up past 9 o'clock on a Friday night. All of those are important for working with youth. He has a lot of more the grandparent age or the empty nesters in his youth program serving as leaders. And they're great leaders. They don't have their own kids there. They are good mentors for other teens. I said, well, we've got sort of the opposite thing. We've got a lot of vibrant young adults. I wish we had a few more gray-haired folks who love teens and could engage with them. Or empty nesters who have already raised up teens of their own and have got something more they want to give to somebody else. 
and our, and, and our ministry to teens at large and even those that come join us and their family's not here, we would be more of a family to them when that is the case. We have an obligation to take time to teach wisdom. And there's a promise with it. Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a promise. And some of you love that verse. Some of you younger parents are still naively leaning on that verse and claiming it to be so, and it's all going to be okay. And some of you are a little older and maybe a little jaded. Right? Train up the child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. But what happened in my family? Why have some of my kids seemed to sort of leave their faith behind at high school and the church when they went on with life, you say? Is it something I did? Was it something I said? Did I not cross all the T's and dot all the I's? Did I not do some things right so that, poof, it just winds up in a tangle and there's nothing we can do about it now? We wonder, what does Proverbs 22 verse 6 mean? I raise that one because when you read Proverbs, Proverbs are meant to be principles, not promises. No matter how you unwind wire, sometimes there will be tangles. We are broken people, in a broken world. There will be some tangles along the way, so don't give up on the whole thing because they happen. But the principle is that when you train up a child in the way he should go, and that's not pressing a child into a particular form. It's also that word way. It's also used of the way of an eagle in the sky and the way of a serpent in the sand or on the rocks. It's, it's, how they, it's how they do it. I don't even fully understand it, but that's, and the way of the serpent is different than the way of the eagle in the sky. Another example is that in the way of a young man with a maiden. And he sort of just, when the chemistry is there, he just knows what to say and how to act, and it just comes together. And some, if you try to plan that and force that, it, it ends up in a train wreck, doesn't it? But when the chemistry is there and it just happens, it's like, wow, how did that happen? I don't know, but I'm liking it. That way of a child, train up a child in the way he should go. Part of that is knowing the child. It's, it's according to their bent. You don't bend the twig the wrong way against where it should go. It's not just a matter of morally right and wrong, but what is the right way, for instance, as a a child artistic, and you keep hammering them to be more rational, more rational, more logical, and more nuts and bolts, and you're going to frustrate that child. So there's some right understanding of the verse, but as well keep in mind, it's a principle. It's not a promise. And you can lay off the guilt trip. If I had only done that or that right, then my kids would have turned out okay. That's not, the point of the, that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is to say parenting matters. So roll up your sleeves and get to work. And you say, well, I don't know, you know. I, the, the first batch didn't, didn't turn out so well. Well, you've got more wisdom now? Have another go. Round two. Come alongside others. Come alongside. Julie and I greatly benefited by parents who were not perfect, but were several years, about 12, 14, 16 years down the parenting path ahead of us. And goodness, they had eight. We figured they've learned something if they can just keep these kids from killing each other. 
And so we learn something from them. Take the time to teach wisdom. And that's going to mean investing yourself in the book of Proverbs. Use these, use these cute little axioms and saying. Use them. Drill them into your kids. There are some great word pictures there that are worth picking up. You see, that, that, that principle and promise that we live life by faith. We are trusting God's order in the midst of the disorder. Keep in mind, God is in charge. God is a God of order. There might be a tangle in the middle of the wire, as the illustration I use with the kids, but God is a God of order. And God in his wisdom has allowed there to be, for some purposes, disorder in the midst of the order. But Proverbs assumes that life is not chaotic. That's why the principles work at all. So you can trust God in the midst of, dis- of disorder. And again, one of my favorite book, uh, verses in Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 5. It's a faith verse. It's a verse that says we walk by faith and not by sight, as that song we just sang. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lord, I don't understand why you say do it that way. I don't quite get it, but I'll do it because I will trust you. It's a walk of faith. Trusting God's order in the midst of the disorder. And James picks right up on that. He says what we choose to do, how we choose to live orderly God's way, which does work in the midst of a world that doesn't quite work right. When we choose to do that, we demonstrate our faith. James says, show me your faith by your works. He says, I'll show you my faith. I'll demonstrate my faith by the choices that I make and the things that I do. And that rings true in the book of of Proverbs. Trust God's order in the midst of disorder. We can follow these axioms, these principles. We can put them into life and into practice because it's truth. Finally, live out spiritual life in the practical matters of daily life. Let me go back to the men of Hezekiah. I said these men of Hezekiah uh, compiled a bunch of the Proverbs, uh, uh, several chapters of them, right? And that's actually worth noting because Hezekiah is known for his faith. Hezekiah is known that he trusted God in the midst of a crisis. There was no way out. He could have caved. He could have given up. He could have given in. He could have sold out. He stood strong. Facing certain disaster right in the eye, he said, I'm going to trust God. God, did you hear what he said about you? God, this is your problem, not mine. God, would you deliver us? And God did. Hezekiah trusted God. There was a spiritual awakening. There was a spiritual revival in Israel in Hezekiah's day. The temple worship was restored. They cleared out the idols. But that's not all. Spiritual revival is not merely spiritual. Spiritual revival is not only in this building. Spiritual revival is not just in our prayer closet. Spiritual revival is not merely in our devotional times. Those things feed us so that it leaks out of us all over town. Spiritual revival is lived out in the choices of daily lives. Think of Proverbs as a, not a practical book. Think of Proverbs as a spiritual book. This is how I will worship God. By giving generously, as Proverb describes, I will worship God. You know, there's actually a proverb. I'm going to jump ahead here. There's a proverb that says that. 
Proverbs 14, verse 31. If you read Proverbs enough, it'll just begin to infect your thinking. But this is interesting. I'll give you an example of this. It says in Proverbs 30, 14, 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him, not the needy. The one who's generous to the needy doesn't honor the needy. This is a parallelism, which is very common in Proverbs. The one who oppresses a poor man insults his maker, his creator. In the second line, it again, it refers to the maker, the creator refers to God. The one who is generous to the needy honors God. Because that's what God is like. God is generous to the needy. God is gracious to those who are in need. Live out spiritual life in the practical matters of daily life. I could go on here and talk about this in terms of parenting and faithfulness and marriage, in finances and generosity, in the words that we use, like gracious words are like a honeycomb. That's out of Proverbs. But you can do that. You can read Proverbs. What I want to tell you is how to read it. Read it as a worship manual, not as a good choices for better living manual. Not as a prosperity manual, but how can I live my life before God in a way that brings Him glory? It's interesting, Proverbs opens with a plea to my son to listen. You think, oh, this is a male-oriented book. Why is the Bible like that? Isn't it interesting? There's this book of wisdom. This book of, of um, living God's truth applied to life. How does it end? Proverbs 31. It's a description of a woman who lives in wisdom. Now, ladies, let me let you off the hook here. Proverbs 31 is not the superwoman you are trying to live up to. That's not the point. Say, man, I've got to get involved in real estate. I've got to learn spinning. I've got to sew my family's clothes. But my husband doesn't want to wear slacks I make for him. How am I going to ever get good if he won't wear the ones I start with? That's a real problem. That's not the point. The point is not for you to do all of these things this superwoman of Proverbs 31 does. Don't copy her. But the woman of Proverbs 31 is a woman who lives out the wisdom of Proverbs. That's the point. That's what we take away, that this wisdom is for all of us to step into and to live out, and there we will worship God. Let me give you one more example of that, and it's not in Proverbs. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians is probably the most foolish church in the Bible, the church at Corinth, rather. 1 Corinthians describes the situation at that church. Anytime I'm discouraged in ministry, I read 1 Corinthians and say, praise God, I'm not there. This is a great church, after all. But in chapter, uh, chapter 1 and verse 30, speaking of the weakness of this world and the wisdom of God, and e even God's foolishness is wiser than the wisdom of this world, and verse 30 picks up, and because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Let me unpack that verse. First of all, Jesus became to us wisdom. Wisdom from God. Jesus lived better than any other human. Jesus lived perfectly the wisdom of God in the experiences of life. 
He lived a perfect and wise and skillful. He was the most skillful human at being human. That's all that means. To to, to be wise in life is to be skillful at being human. Living human life rightly. And Jesus did that more than anybody else. But then, after showing us what wisdom perfectly looks like in life, he dies for us to become our righteousness. So that being our righteousness, dying in our place, Jesus, wisdom from God, would become our righteousness. He bore our sin on himself and gave us his rightness before God instead. And there's an exchange. And then he became for sanctification. That's the ongoing change. That's the ongoing spiritual life and transformation. Working toward final redemption where a life that was ruined has been restored. What was broken has been made whole. Humanity fallen has now paradise gained. And that because of Jesus, who first of all lived wisdom. So when I decide I am going to live my life in wisdom, I am saying, God, give me grace and trust in you to follow Jesus and to be more like him. Would you pray with me? Father, we want our lives to reflect your glory. We want to do that in this community. We want to do that even if nobody else is looking because we want to bring our Father joy and pleasure. This book says that a wise son brings joy to his father. Lord, that's what we want. We want to bring joy to you by walking in your truth. Lord, uh, open this book up to us then, not merely as a book of of practice and how-to. Open this book up to us as a manual of worship in real life. And there we will glorify you by your grace, for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As our ushers uh, come forward at this time to to receive our tithes and offerings, this is an act of worship.